So for the past several weeks, we've been journeying through a marriage series called You, Me, and We. And we've hit some pretty solid topics where we talked about our soul, our marriages. And if you're single, it's challenged you to consider, you know, how best you can prepare yourself for a commitment such as marriage. And we've covered topics like becoming the right person. Uncovering family wounds. Family, uh, Sandy did a great job when we look at the brave approach to renewing a good marriage. And today we're going to dig into creating a culture of love in our marriage relationships. Now if you're looking at the series titles, you'll notice that we're supposed to be talking about designer sex today. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, but we are, we're changing the order up a bit. We are going to continue uh, down this road, we will talk about designer sex, so look forward to that. And the series will finish up on March 5th, so stay tuned for that message as well. But for today, I'd like us to walk together into an area that I believe is very much misunderstood in our circles today, in our world today. It's misunderstood in Christian circles, in the church, especially misunderstood in the area of our marriage relationships. You know, creating a culture of love, not only in our marriages, but in all relationships, is something that we take for granted. It is. And we've fallen into the trap that believes that a good and healthy culture of love is just something that happens over time. If I can be as so bold as to say that we need a wake-up call this morning. And we need to figure out in a hurry what it's going to take to create a culture of love in our relationships, one that's Christ-centered, real, and authentic. Whether you're single or you're widowed or you're dating or engaged or newly married or you've walked through a marital failure before or, or you've been in a marriage relationship for a long time, if we don't figure out what, it's, what it takes to create this culture of love the way Jesus designed for us, we will continue to see relationships that struggle. We will continue to see young adults get married who are not adequately prepared. We will continue to see dysfunction in our marriages. We'll continue to see affairs. We'll continue to see abuse. And we will continue to see husbands and wives who are just unhappy. They stick together, not because they want to, but for the sake of their kids one day the kids grow up, they leave the home, and they either decide to split the mom and dad, they decide to split her, or they stay together but leave completely separate lives. Friends, we got to figure this love thing out. Not only for all of us in here, but for the sake of the kingdom. We live in a world who has no idea, no idea how to create a culture of love that Jesus has designed for us and for them. They need us to show them. But we must learn how to do this first. I want you to hear this. This is, this is really important. Real love does not take the easy route. Okay? Real love does not take the easy route. There's no easy way around it. Creating a culture of love that, that God intends us to live is not easy. Love takes work. Love requires us to go to the hard places of our past experiences. It requires us to, to, to look into the pain 
of our disappointments and, and, our, and our past and the open wounds in our souls that are still there. Love takes commitment and it takes perseverance. And you know what? The amount to which you and I can, can, can love someone is, is tapped out by how much love we've been able to receive from the Father. Let me say that again. The amount to which you and I can love somebody is limited by how much love we've actually received from the Father. What does that mean? Well, it means to be able to love better, to love deeper, and to love fuller. We must take care of our own stuff in here, our own issues. Because if we neglect to take care of our soul issues, those undealt with issues are the love lenses that you and I will look through when we look at, our, when we look at someone else, when we try to love someone else. The more stuff we're able to, to release and to work through and, and be healed from, the deeper the love we receive from the Father, which in turn gives us the ability to love ourselves well and the ability to love others that much deeper too. Before I go any further, I'd like to, I'd like to share something with you uh, this morning. I want you to know that this has actually been kind of a hard message to put together. Let me tell you why. <clears throat> As I prepared this week for this message, it, it's, I've had an incredible burden and, and weight on my, on my heart by the reality that there's so many people who have walked through or who are currently walking through horrendous relationships. It's a reality. Some are currently in really difficult circumstances right now within their marriages, and it's, it's very real. It's very real. There are many of you who have not experienced the kind of love that we're going to talk about this morning. I had many conversations with people this week and just about their crushed marriage dreams. And that their current reality of love is the furthest thing from the culture of love that God has designed for us to live in. There's so much pain. And there's, so, there's, there's so many desperate situations out there and, and sometimes we just wish we could turn the clock back. Right? But we can't. I want to speak directly into that pain and to that, to that desperation and current dysfunction that's going on right now. And as hard as it may be to move forward, I pray the Holy Spirit shows you all this morning that it doesn't matter how deep or how dark or how painful or how much you've missed a love mark in your relationship, there's a better way. And there's tremendous hope in Jesus who has the power to redeem relationships. Who has the power to restore fractured and broken relationships. Who brings healing to relational wounds and, and longs to infuse his deep, powerful, perfect love into your life and into the life of your relationships and into the life of your marriage. Jesus wants to show us a better way of loving one another in our relationships and in our marriages. So let's start by going there. Let's talk about that this morning. 
through various passages, what it's going to take for you and I to create that culture of love that Jesus calls us to. We'll look at very, some very practical ways to do that as well. We're going to jump around a bit before we land in a specific text, so get ready. Um, start looking at these passages now with me. Matthew 5, if you've got Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew 5, Luke 10, John 13. We'll go all the way to 1 John 3, which is close to the end of the Bible, and then we'll land at 1 Corinthians 13. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Should be on the screen for you too. The word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, here Jesus gives his readers a radical command that requires us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. He goes on to say that only those who, who love, to love only those who love you is no better than, than those who are not his disciples. See, Jesus is looking for disciples whose love is just as complete or perfect as, his father, as our Father in heaven. That's pretty heavy stuff. Jumping forward a couple books to Luke 10. Just go ahead there now if you like. Verse 25, Luke chapter 10. There's a conversation that takes place between Jesus and an expert in the law of Moses. And in this conversation, the expert asks Jesus, you know, what he must do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus asks him if he's read the law, and the other guy quotes two commands of love, or about love, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asks Jesus, oh, okay, Jesus, who then is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes and tells a story of, of a Samaritan who took care of the man who fell among the robbers to illustrate the selfless love as to characterize citizens of the kingdom. This is interesting. Selfless love. Okay. Let's go to John 13. What does he say there? John 13, 34 through 35. It says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay. So far... Jesus has highlighted love as loving your enemies, loving with a love that's perfect and is completely selfless, loving one another like, like he has loved us, and his disciples are either known as his followers of Christ or not based on how we love one another. I've got to say, these teachings are, are not that easy. Let's see if 1 John has something easier to say about love. 1 John 3, 18. 
toward the end of your Bible. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Verse 23, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I think we're kind of getting the idea here of the kind of love Jesus is looking for. The kind of love he's commanded us is is not to be taken lightly. There's an incredibly high standard here. Now, to the, to the not yet Christ follower, one would think that this kind of love is actually not possible to attain. But it is. It is possible because it's not, it's not our own love. It's not our own. But the love of the Father in us that gives us the ability to love other people. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, you may be asking then, so what does this love actually look like? Or, or how then do we create a culture, this culture of love that God's designed for us to live in and that Jesus has commanded us to live by? What do I need to do differently than what I'm already doing? Those are good questions. Let's go to one more passage, and this is where it's, it's going to become a little bit clearer and, and of what love will actually look like. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Turn back a little bit in your Bibles. We're going to stay here for a little while so you can take your fingers out of all those other bookmarks, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 11. And now I will show you the most excellent way, in the words of Paul. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It it doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put 
the ways of childhood behind me. You know, I'm not sure how many times you may have heard people say, I, I just don't love my wife anymore. I, 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 don't think, I don't think I love my husband anymore. Or how about this one? He's just not the same person I married. I don't know if I can keep doing this anymore. It's so hard. She just doesn't love me like she used to. Or I'm not feeling loved anymore. Or what about, what about this? I, I think I've fallen out of love with my spouse. We just don't love each other like we used to. And I lost that butterfly feeling that I, I had in my stomach when we were together. What's, what's going on here? So what is actually happening in all these relationship breakdowns? Well, it's really more than one thing. There's a lot of things going on, and each context is different, but let me suggest just a few errors in perspective that we've kind of latched on to. One of them is something that the Apostle Paul talks about in verse 11 that we just read, verse 11. He says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the childish childhood, put the ways of childhood behind me. As Andy Stanley puts in his book, it's a great book, by the way, you can purchase it in the back, Love, Sex, and Dating, Paul is really saying it like this. When I was a child, I talked about love like a child talks about love. I thought about love like a child thinks about love. When I fantasized about what love would look like, I fantasized like you would expect a child to fantasize. But when I grew up, I put those childish ideas about love behind me. But just a quick note here, uh, just a by the way moment. The Apostle Paul was actually never married. Um, and yet he wrote this famous passage on love. It's important to know that this, this kind of love is for all people, okay? Not just for those who are in marriage relationship. But what Paul is saying here is that one of the biggest assumptions people make when we tie the knot with our spouse is that our, our puppy love or the honeymoon love or that romantic love, it, it's good, okay? But the assumption is that that kind of love will take us hap- into happily ever after love land. Paul is saying that that's actually kind of an immature way to approach love. Stanley states, if you carry childhood notions of love into adulthood, you most certainly won't live happily ever after. We must abandon our childish ways to we see love. But what's so childish about it? See, a child sees love as a feeling only. Okay? They, they feel love and they feel accepted. When they fantasize about love, they're dreamy and unrealistic. And, and that, uh, they don't understand that real love actually takes, takes hard work. It's not easy. Moving into an adulthood way to view love is, is to see love the way Jesus showed love. That love is a verb. Love is not a feeling. Jesus did not command us to feel something. He commanded us to express love through action. One other error in perspective I'd like us to understand before we take a more 
specific look into how we actually can create this culture of love is, is that there's, there's a tendency to believe the myth that when we find the right person, everything will be all right and everything will be relatively easy. You know, we may find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, sure, but that doesn't mean things are going to be all right. What happens is that the person we thought was, was right for us doesn't always act right. Okay, there's a big difference there. So when we take it, so, so when we notice that the person doesn't act right, what do we do? Well, we take it on as our mission to go and fix that person. We can't do that. Let me suggest a, a, a different way, a better way to approach a relationship. And instead of coming into a relationship and trying to fix your spouse, focus on becoming the right person yourself. Focus on becoming a better you. With this in mind then, understanding that love is a verb, understanding that we must put our childlike fantasies of love behind us, and understanding that becoming a better you is the focal point. Let's get practical then in, in how we can cultivate this culture of love that um, Jesus has created for us. So the best way to, to go about working through this list that we're going to go through is not to think, oh, my spouse needs to hear this. Yes, he needs to be more patient with me. Oh, yes, preach. Or, or, oh, man, my wife just, she's got to stop keeping score for all the wrong stuff I've done. Don't go there, okay? Do not go there. That's not the point here, okay? Let's take the posture of how can I become a better person, okay? How can I be better at being me in this relationship? So let's start in verse 4. Verse 4 says, love is patient. What does it look like for you to be patient in your relationship? A quick definition of patient means that we're able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Stanley says, patience is the decision to move at someone else's pace rather than pressuring him or her to match yours. It's choosing to press pause rather than to push one's own agenda onto someone else. Well, how does that play out in a, in a relationship or in a marriage? Maybe you are at a point right now where you're pressuring your spouse to go to counseling. It's quite possible. You know he needs it or she needs it, but they're just not there yet. Be patient. Maybe, maybe you should lead the way and go to counseling first if you're not already. Think about that. Love expressed through patience simply puts the other person first. It's an expression of submission to the other that says, your pace, not mine. Next up, we have what I like to call the ugly threesome. Okay? It's called envy, boasting, and pride. These guys are bad. Okay? These guys are killers. They destroy relationships. But why do you think Paul puts these three together? It's because they're all cut from the same cloth. Okay, they're all based out of the heart condition of being insecure. 
Basically, envy has to do with that feeling of feeling unhappy about, about the success of someone else or about something they have and, and simultaneously feeling inferior to yourself. It's envy. As Stanley states, envy says, if I don't feel good about me, I can't let you feel too good about you. Since I can't pull me up, I'll find ways to drag you down. He goes on. He says, pay attention to what happens internally with the successes of people closest to you. Is your initial response to celebrate them or, or to denigrate? Are you comfortable allowing the spotlight to remain on other people or do you find yourself looking for ways to, to direct attention back to yourself? You see this a lot when people parachute into conversations with a better story than the one they just heard someone else say. You know those people. Don't do that. To treat this one on a behavioral level, learn learn to celebrate the stories of those closest to you. And by the way, it is pride that keeps us from celebrating the accomplishments of others. So to avoid that, Just celebrate and praise people. Celebrate their accomplishments. Let's look at another characteristic that will help foster this culture of love. Paul says in verse five, he says that love does not dishonor others. Now dishonor shows itself through through sarcasm and and being critical of someone else. But what, what is honor? Now, fortunately, unfortunately, we don't talk about honor much anymore, but I believe that it's time that we redeem this word and bring it back into our culture. It's a kingdom word, and we need to understand what honor means. Chris Valentin, in his book, uh, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, says that honor is humility in action. It is a matter of the heart and requires an honest assessment of the value of other people and chooses to focus on that above ourselves. Honor is a decision. Okay, it is something that you choose to do. It is making your best effort to be the best possible version of you. That's honor. Another way to talk about honor or express it is to think about it this way. Okay, think about your most prized possession. Because right now, your mind's eye, what is your most prized possession? Is it a car? Uh, is it a piece of jewelry? Are there heirlooms, photos? What, whatever that thing is that you would first save in a fire, okay? Apart from your spouse and your pet, what else do you really, what is your prized possession, okay? Think about it. How would you handle it? How would you take care of it? You got the picture? Okay. So how many people have motorcycles in here? Joni? Okay, others, there's more than you. Come on, I can't see you. Anyway, I love motorcycles. I have a motorcycle. That's my most prized possession, okay? I love it. I wash a motorcycle. I wax my motorcycle. I dust my motorcycle. I drool over my motorcycle, okay? I do ask Sandra. Okay, I don't let anybody touch it unless they ask, and even then, I'm not sure. Okay, you have to ask to sit on my bike, you can't start it, I start it. And when people neglect the motorcycle, it makes me upset. Why do people do that? 
So how could they do that? There's this, I take Julia to school every day in the morning, and there's this motorcycle that's outside, and I apologize if it's yours. Okay? <laughs> but there's a motorcycle that has been out there for four months, and it's got snow on it. It's not covered. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, you just don't do that. You don't do that. You've got to protect your bike. But I'll, I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe something happened to him. I don't know. Either way, I am protective of my motorcycle, as you can tell. It's my most prized possession. We honor those things that we are protective of, okay? We are protective of the things that we honor. Honor brings the best version of you to a relationship, and it expresses that honor through protection, that value through protection. So, so, what does it look like for you to honor your spouse? Are you trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be? Do you protect them like you would protect your most prized possession? Let's move on to one other characteristic called anger. Okay? This one's a big one. Are there any of you who struggle with anger? You don't need to raise your hand, don't worry. Okay? <laughs> Many of us do struggle with anger, okay? So anger, though, in and of itself is not sinful or destructive. Real love will guide us in the proper handling of anger. However, what Paul is getting at here is, can best be described by saying, it's like, man, she knows how to push my buttons, right? Or by the time he's finished lecturing me, I'm so wound up, I want to punch him. Okay, I'm not speaking from experience, okay? <laughs> but that's how people get angry. That's how they feel. I'm not like that with my wife, I promise. People get wound up, okay? They get stirred up and they get angry. Paul says that love does not get easily stirred up. It does not have a short fuse. It doesn't get easily ticked off. Love doesn't react, it responds. Love responds. You're probably thinking right now, yeah, okay, Nate. You have no idea the kind of man that I live with or the woman that I got to deal with. You have no idea. It's true, I don't. But what are we learning about today? To cultivate a culture of love, we are to look at how we can become the best possible version of ourselves. Maybe instead of blaming the person for taking you off or pushing your buttons, the better route is to think, hmm, why, why does this upset me so much? Why am I getting so easily angered at something possibly so trivial? Possibly. I'm not saying the other person doesn't have stuff to work on, okay? But I would suggest that there may be other things going on below the surface and deep down in your soul that may need some attention. So ask yourself, why am I getting so easily stirred up? I've skipped over some of these characteristics in this list for the sake of time, but Paul writes something very interesting, very significant that I'd like to pull out. He says in verse 7 that love always protects. Love always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres. Stanley summarizes Paul here and says that love chooses to see the best 
and believe the best while choosing to overlook the rest. There's no option here. None. Love always trusts. It always protects and hopes and always perseveres. Always. Another way to say this is that love gives the benefit of the doubt. Okay? This is something Sandra and I have lived by for a long time. Something I, I uh, disciple and when I, with my leaders that learn to give the benefit of doubt with people. Love does not assume someone is lying or is being deceitful. Love chooses to believe the partner regardless of the situation. Every time your significant other makes a promise or sets an expectation on something and doesn't follow through with that expectation, you and I actually choose what goes in that gap. Okay? The gap between expected behavior and actual behavior. Or the gap between a, a promise and the performance, or lack thereof. You can either believe the best, or you can suspect the worst. It is a choice. Love does everything possible to protect the integrity of the relationship, rather than undermine it with suspicion. Now, don't let this confuse you with the fact that, you know, don't be gullible into trusting everything when or if there is no good reason to do so. It is possible that things that you or your spouse have done, have committed, that uh, have called that trust into legitimate question. The result is a fractured relationship that's in need of repair, where the trust has clearly been broken but as this trust begins to be rebuilt, the encouragement, again, is to get to the point where we can always trust them again. However, and this is a big however, if your spouse has, done, has not done anything to raise your suspicion or break your trust, and yet you find yourself in this pattern of feeling suspicious or feeling hurt, that's a clear indication that there's a wound in your own soul that needs to be dealt with. You are bringing that personal wound of mistrust into that relationship and you are seeing your spouse through your own insecurities. So as you reflect over this list that we've gone over, how are you feeling? You feel like this is something you can do or, or you're thinking, oh, I could never do all that. That's, that's fair, I get it. Some pretty high standards. But would you entertain me a little then and do a quick mental exercise as the PowerPoint or screen slide comes up? It won't take long. Go through this list just as I'm talking and make special note of those qualities that you're not looking for in your future spouse or your spouse now. And you're saying, what? what do you mean? Not looking for? Or if you're in a current relationship, circle those in your mind that you're kind of, you're willing to give your partner a pass on. You know, the ones that really aren't that important to you. My assumption is that you kind of would like to see all those qualities either in your future spouse or in the relationship you're in right now, right? I hope so. 
Those are great expectations, and that's good that you want to see those qualities, those characteristics. But can I suggest that those qualities you are looking for in someone else would be the very ones you begin working on yourself? So you can become the best person you can be in that relationship. Or even if you're not in a relationship, be the best person you can be. This is something that Sandra and I have learned to cultivate over the years as well. We've been married for 18 years. Love you, babe. I told her I wouldn't do that in second service, but I did. <laughs> so we love being married to each other. Okay, we love it. But that doesn't come without hard work and special attention. It doesn't. We've had to learn about many things through, through the years and walk through many different uh, stuff. When we first got married, I quickly discovered that I had baggage that I brought into our marriage relationship. I had a low self-esteem, and I believed the, perf- the performance lie and the people-pleasing lie. You know, the lie that says that my value is dependent on whether certain people value me, whether they love me or like me. You know, I had felt pressure to please everybody. Then you get married, what happens? I had to figure out in a hurry, how, to, how do I please my parents and how do I please my spouse who I'm trying to create these healthy, good boundaries with? It was hard. So I had to dig down into my soul and ask, okay, where are these rude issues coming from? Why am I believing this lie that I, my value comes from making people happy? That's not, that's a lie. So I worked through that. We worked through it together. We got through. There are other things that we, we did to cultivate a good marriage. We went through workshops. We did marriage weekends, not because there was a crisis necessarily, but because we valued our marriage. And we knew that going, to, going into a marriage to create a healthy and strong marriage, we had to work on it. It's necessary. We're always learning more about each other. 18 years, we're still learning. I can tell you, though, that, that coming back from Mexico was a pretty difficult time in our marriage, too, as well. We were both grieving. We were grieving differently, but we were grieving over the same circumstances. Sandra was grieving over her family, and I was grieving over uh, the shattered dreams of living ministry in Mexico. Neither was more important than the other. But we had to learn the balance of giving each other space, space to grieve in our own way, and, and with putting our own grieving aside to care for our spouse, to care for Sandra as she was grieving. You know, each of us required, both of us, it, we, we had to live with a it's not all about me perspective, even in a grieving journey. And, that, and we came through we were stronger for it. So what's it going to take for you to create this culture of love in your relationships? Remember, real love does not take the easy route. It doesn't. Remember the E and brave that Pastor Sandy taught a few weeks ago? E is about what? Embracing the long run. Okay? It's a journey. Marriage is not a sprint. Relationships are not a sprint. This is going to take work, and it will require time. 
And it will require that you choose to cultivate culture of love for one another all the time. Maybe it means that you need to take a look at your calendars and schedule a time intentionally to go on a date. Creating a culture of love is going to require that you're strategic in carving out time for one another. In our busy lives, we're all busy. It may mean that these dates or scheduled times to talk about how things are going are done over phone or Skype, depending on your work schedule. That's okay. Bottom line is we need to devote time to work on our marriages. We can't neglect them. Now it's possible that you are in a relationship that is so fractured and dysfunctional and there's very little communication between the two of you. There could be hurts and wounds that are fresh and you just have no idea. You can't figure out how to walk forward in this. That's real. It's a reality today. It may be necessary for you to begin for you to begin talking to someone you trust. I would suggest that you have a conversation with a professional. You know, we have counselors who are ready and available to listen to your story and to offer the professional help that you may need to move back toward one another instead of drifting further apart. Now there's something that I haven't really mentioned yet and that I believe is very vital and cultivating a culture of love in our relationships. It's very important and, and should not be neglected. We've talked this morning about how love is not merely a feeling, but it's a choice, right? It's a decision to choose love and to express that love in various ways, such as what we see in, in 1 Corinthians 13. However, if we begin trying to create a culture of love by only changing our behaviors, We've missed the point. In working at becoming the, becoming the best self that you can be does not begin with changing our behaviors and behavioral patterns. That's not the starting point. Though extremely important, okay, it's very important and necessary to create that culture of love. But changing behaviors alone will only result in a performance-based relationship and may result in failure again. Because it's from the heart that our behaviors flow. We love from our soul. We need to look into our souls, not just the behaviors that need to be changed. Would you guys uh, stand with me as I close this message off? As I mentioned at the beginning, the amount to which you and I can, can love someone else is tapped out by or limited by how much love we receive from the Father in heaven. Whether you are married or, or you have experienced marital failure or you're widowed or a young adult or old, to be able to love better and deeper and fuller, to cultivate a culture of love that Jesus has called us to, we must take care of our own Stuff in our soul in here. Maybe you're here this morning, you can feel the Holy Spirit say, yeah, it's time to become the best person you can be. It's time to own the stuff in your soul and start working on the hard issues so you can experience more healing, so you can experience more freedom 
and more, love, more of my love for you, the Father's love for you, so you can love better. He understands everything you've gone through. He understands everything you're going through right now. Maybe you don't know how to love anymore uh, than you do because of that stuff that's in your soul. Maybe what you need is a fresh revelation of the Father's love for you today. We need that fresh revelation of the Father's love for us because it's His love that transforms how we do life and how we love other people. It's His love that transforms us in how we view ourselves and how we view others. Because how well you can love others stems directly directly from the revelation of the Father's love for you. Maybe you've been working on your soul issues and you're enjoying deep intimacy with the Father and you're experiencing a fantastic marriage right now. You know what? Praise God for you guys. That is awesome. We celebrate that. And I want you to know that we need people like you as an example to look at. You have much to offer us in the body of Christ much to offer us. We have much to learn from. But if you're here this morning and, and you long for more freedom, like I've said, more freedom in your soul so you can be the best person you can be, you long for better days in your marriage, in your relationships, and you want the fresh revelation of the Father's love for you today, let me pray over you right now. Let's close your eyes. Receive the Father's love as I pray over you. Father in heaven who showed the ultimate love by sending your one and only son to be sacrificed for us so we could be in a relationship with you. Thank you. Father, I ask from my heart to yours that you would bring a fresh revelation of love over your people today. Come Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, heal our souls. Take us to the places we need to go in our soul. Show us the things we need to give up that are blocking us from receiving and experiencing more love from you and blocking us from loving others in the way that you love us. So just pour your love out, Holy Father, right now over your people. Receive the Father's love. we say here the service is coming to a close but the kingdom is open it's always open the ministry team will come up here in a bit if you want to be healed or if you want to be prayed over again for a fresh revelation of the Father's love come up and be prayed for for the rest of you go look into your soul and figure out how I can be the best person I can be for my spouse or my future spouse